Hey everybody, welcome back to the Noggin Notes podcast. I am Jake Wiskirchen. I'm your host, and you should be used to me saying that by now. Today's podcast is on intentionality. What is intentionality? Well, it is my favorite word in all of therapy land. I write it on the whiteboard as frequently as possible for my clients, my students, my interns, my employees, all the groups that I teach. And the way that I teach it is I simply define it as knowing why you do what you do. If you break it out, intentional means the intent by which you do something, the reasoning, the rationale, the purpose, the impetus, if you will. And then the ality is uh, the method by which you implement those things. So Knowing why you do what you do is super important for a whole lot of reasons, but chief among them, in my estimation, is that it adds that bit of control over your life. If you know why you do what you do, you're no longer pushed into doing things you don't want to do by forces that are beyond your control. Uh, You can no longer simply chalk things up to, well, it was my reaction, or they made me, or uh, "It's, it's what I was brought up to believe. So... With intentionality, you don't get to scurry away from accountability and responsibility. So I dive into that with a couple of anecdotes and uh, personal examples in this podcast. I hope you enjoy it. As always, we're brought to you by Zephyr Wellness. It's a company I co-own in Reno, Nevada. You're probably tired of hearing that too. And if you're somebody out there who wants to sponsor the show and be heard across this vast audience, it is international by the way. Uh, then you're free to supplant my company, and I will no longer reference it again. Just reach out to us at info at noggannotes.com and info at zephyrwellness.org. It'd be great to have more sponsors, uh, and particularly more sponsors who are trying to improve humanity the way that we are here at Noggin Notes. So I'm not going to talk anymore, but just know that this podcast about intentionality was done with great intentionality so that you all may benefit by broadening your scope of personal awareness. Enjoy it. Many, many years ago when I was uh, much younger and uh, more reckless, I indulged in some open mic comedy nights here in town. And um, it's, it's hard, man. It's really hard to stand on that stage and tell jokes to an audience that despite their uh, liquor or uh, beer consumption is is usually pretty critical of uh, you know amateur talent just trying to trying to get up there and practice a craft for the first time and among some of the amateurs who did the uh, the open mics were some very talented people that I think probably could have done it professionally I um, I have a I have a knack for writing uh, I write pretty well but writing comedy is extraordinarily challenging and um, one thing that I, I realized was that there was always this intro that uh, you know co- comics tend to have, which is you know a funny thing happened to me on the way to the club tonight, and uh, that's an old school way of introducing a joke, uh, and some of the new school guys would uh, use it tongue in cheek, and I'm using it here because <laughs> a funny thing happened to me, um, and I know you're you're probably laughing inside your own head as I'm laughing inside mine, saying Jake, the only thing funny about you is your looks, which is why you're on radio and podcasts and not on TV. Although I do have a YouTube channel through Zephyr Wellness, so it's not quite true. But um, but the idea is that a funny thing happened to me on my way to the podcast today. And I was having a conversation over text message with a friend of mine who used the phrase, living rent-free in her head. And 
I was like, man, that happens so often with so many of my clients who are struggling particularly with anger issues. Um, they end up becoming, um, they're, they're playing landlord to somebody living in their head. And I wanted to address that today because I think it has real relevance to um, everyday application for people who are frustrated by those who probably aren't standing in front of them more often than not. And the way this plays out is, uh, imagine in your head somebody who frustrates you, okay? Uh, somebody with whom you've had uh, very challenging experiences. It could be a boss, it could be a coworker, it could be a relative uh, across town or even across the country. And regardless, you find this person occupying some mental space in your in your daily life such that it impacts your mood and your attitude. And so you end up uh, complaining about this person to people who uh, otherwise may not care, uh, but also who may not be in a position to even do anything about it. So, you know, you bark into your spa, spouse about your boss isn't going to change your boss's behavior. Uh, you may get some support. You may get, you know, some something validating like, yeah, man, that, yeah, I hear you, honey. That, that really sounds uh, frustrating. Okay, but it doesn't solve the problem. And oftentimes what we want to do is is get rid of that frustration or at least remove it from the space where the person is not, which would be the home if it's your boss or if it's the relative across town. They don't have any uh, reason to be in your head while you're at the gym. Or if it's your ex-girlfriend, uh, there's no reason that person needs to be in your head while you're with your current girlfriend. So the the great phrase that my friend used was um, it it happened to do with uh, some communication that was, that was cycled back to him. And he says, it looks like uh, I'm still living rent-free in her head. And I thought that was brilliant. And it was it, it points to something that I've said before about um, people who are struggling with this anger issue, about people you know taking up mental space. And I say, I, I'll, I'll do an intervention where I just say, Hey, uh, real quick question. Uh, we'll just say the the person's name is Mike. You know, the client is Mike, for example, and and uh, the person taking up space in the head. Uh, you know, that that person's name is uh, uh, Tanya. Okay, so I'll say, Hey, Mike, uh, is Tanya paying you rent? And it'll be like, What? Or even I'll I'll even roll it back a little bit further and be like, Is Tanya paying you money? Oh, okay. Start over. Hey, Mike, is Tanya paying you money? And he'll be like, uh, what? What are you talking about? They'll be like, is she paying you money? Do you get any money from her? Well, no, Tanya's my ex. Why would she pay me money? Well, uh, you, you mean she's, she's not paying you money? No, she's not paying me money. She's my ex. What are, you, what are you talking about, Jake? You're starting to sound weird. Okay, I'm only asking because it seems like she should be paying you money. Okay, Jake, I get it. She should be paying me money for, from your perspective, but what is this about? Well, it seems to me that she's... Uh, She's renting space in your head and not paying you money for that rent. And then the big silence drops in like I just dropped on you. And then client Mike says, oh my goodness, you're right. And then inevitably there's a look of confusion and bewilderment and uh, also possibly astonishment and then intrigue. And then followed by something like, well, what do you think I should do? And my response is evict her. And at least if she's paying you money, you can justify why she's renting space in your head. But if she's renting space for free, evict her from your head. And more often than not, the experience with the client is is really profound. They, they, they don't realize that they have inadvertently been giving space and time and energy and effort and emotional uh, uh, energy to 
to this person who probably in all rights doesn't even know that they're occupying space in your head or Mike's head or whomever's head it may be. Um, apologies to my friends, Mike and Tanya, they are married and, uh, it just seemed like it was appropriate to drop them in there. Actually, we're going to drop that too. So what do we do? How do we evict people from our heads? Well, I'm going to run a little exercise with you. I may have done this before on the podcast, but I'm going to do it again anyway, because we've got a new listening audience these days and not everybody scrolls all the way back to the beginning. So, uh, even if I have done this before, uh, it's worth revisiting anyway. So I invite you to clear your minds. And when they're cleared, raise your hand. If you're driving, don't do that. That's dangerous. But clear your mind. And now I want you to think. Ready? Okay. So I invite you to clear your mind. And when it's clear, go ahead and do the following exercise. Don't think about elephants. Don't think about their trunks or their tusks or their big floppy ears. Don't think about Dumbo the flying elephant. Don't think about the pink elephants people see when they're drunk, supposedly. Uh, Don't think about elephants running in a pack across the Serengeti kicking up dust. Just don't think about elephants. It didn't work, did it? Well, the reason it didn't work is because our brains don't contemplate or don't process the don't in front of the elephant. And this is why uh, exercises like don't smoke, don't drink, they often, uh, well, they don't work. Because all we do is we skip right over the don't and we think about the smoking and the drinking. So you sit there and go, don't smoke, don't smoke, don't have a cigarette, don't light one up. And then before you know it, you're, you're tapping on the pack and pulling one out and lighting it up and you go, darn it, I just gave into the thing I didn't want to do. So instead, here's what I invite you to do. Okay, let's try a new exercise. Think very hard about tigers. Got it? Any tiger, tiger, tiger woods, uh, Tony, the tiger, uh, think about the tigers and their stripes and uh, wandering through the the jungles. And if, as soon as you've got the tiger, uh, I will ask you, where did the elephant go? It's gone, right? Because while you're focusing on the tiger, the elephant that you're trying not to think about has no place. The mind can only be in one place at one time. And the very, in, the very idea uh, or the concept of multitasking is actually a false one. So we don't, we don't really multitask. What we do is we go back and forth among uh, several tasks very quickly. But what we can only ever do is focus on one thing at a time. So if you have somebody occupying space in your head and you don't like it because they're sapping your energy or drawing your strength uh, or they're just simply interfering with your life, You have absolute control over whether or not you give that person attention based solely on where you focus that attention. If you try to say, you know, if your client Mike uh, and you say, don't think about Tanya, well, Tanya is the last word out of your mind, out of your mouth or in your mind. So, of course, Tanya is going to be in your head. But if you say, for example, focus on my wife, focus on my friend, think about the beer I'm enjoying at the ball game where I'm present then Tanya has no way to creep into that. So we have absolute control over where we direct our thoughts and our attention, which will then directly impact our moods and our attitudes, which will then uh, impact the, the world in which we live and in which we operate. And the ripple effect off of that is, is incredible. So don't let other people simply uh, rent space in your head. Uh, my buddy's uh, reference was not someone renting space in his head, thankfully. He's, he's a well-adjusted individual. Uh, and he's able to push those things out pretty well. Uh, but this person clearly uh, had uh, him 
in her head. And I think that's really unfortunate for her uh, because it's clearly going to distract from her life, uh, whether it be work or personal relationships or whatever. Um, and the funny thing was, is until he was told about it, she had no idea that he was occupying uh, space in her head and wasn't even aware of it. So just think about that. Oftentimes the people who are um, you know, taking up space and causing us problems, they're not even aware of the power that they have over us. And I don't know about you, but I don't really feel like having that much power over to somebody who's not even aware that they possess it. So take it back. And the way you take it back is evict them from your head. How do you evict them? Focus on something else that you do enjoy. So the second topic I wanted to deal with today was um, something that's that's uh, been recurring in my life recently where uh, people use other people as Google. Um <laughs> I don't I don't mean that condescendingly because uh, there are certainly experts in our society and there are there are wise people and uh, folks who have uh, great capacity for processing information and even who who hold great information that that we ourselves don't have right um, and the way this has uh, come come up in my life recently is in in a few different avenues one is that I find myself by virtue of the fact that I have done a lot of work with my licensing board, I possess a lot of knowledge about the laws and codes in the state of Nevada, particularly pertaining to our profession. So people come to me with questions about that, and I have no problem with that. But it got me thinking about how a lot of the stuff that they ask me is very easily Googleable. And I don't mind being somebody's Google if they're, you know, across the hall from me or we're in a conversation and, and that happens to be the topic. That's fine. I don't want you breaking away from our conversation just to pull up a smartphone and look up the thing that you wanted to ask me. That's that's a that's actually a waste of time. But if you're sending me an email to ask me about something that uh, could otherwise be read by you with a few keystrokes, I, th I think that's actually probably a waste of, of not only your time uh, to craft the email and ask the question that you could have just otherwise typed into the search engine, but also my time because I have to take time responding to the email. And I'm not a person who likes to ignore emails simply because I'm I'm bothered by them. I, I'll, I'll answer everybody's email. But it seems to be a, a recurring theme lately, and it seems to be in increasing frequency. The other avenue in which this approached me was, uh, so I can, you know, stop uh, pretending that I'm somehow uh, blameless in all this, is that I found myself in a couple of text conversations recently where uh, the person with whom I was corresponding referenced something I was not aware of, or I, I, I had no knowledge of. And instead of taking the moment, pulling up my own search engine on my own smartphone and Googling the name or the topic, I just fired back a question, what is that or who is that? And I used that person as my own Google. Now, in a live conversation, that's reasonable, but these particular texts were minutes apart in their uh, correspondence because we both had things going on. And there's two in particular I'm, I'm considering here. One was while I was making dinner. So there were several minutes in between that I could have just punched it up and found out. And I would have spared myself the, uh, the obvious display of ignorance as well uh, by finding it out on my own and, and not asking my buddy. Uh, and the other was I was playing with my kids. So, you know, I'll, I'll check my phone if it dings, uh, set it aside, play with my kids, come back a few minutes later, see that there's a, an alert. But virtually the same situation where I could have gone and looked that information up on my own. Now, why is this a concern? Why is this uh, something I'm bringing up on noggin notes? You know, how does it, how does it relate to counseling or psychology or, or personal well-being? Well, my conclusion is that when we get lazy in our search for information and simply 
latch on to the thing that is top of consciousness rather than working a little harder to go get it ourselves, what we end up doing is um, we inevitably create um, an entitlement mentality for ourselves. And and I don't mean entitlement like I deserve such and such and if I don't get it, I'm going to throw a fit. That's one kind of entitlement for sure. But this kind of entitlement is the instant gratification kind of entitlement that I think is starting to seep through our culture. Um, it used to be that, uh, you know, we'd use the phrase kids these days. Uh, kids these days don't understand what it's like to look up information in a library card catalog and, you know, harumph, harumph. They have that, you know, that fancy Google or whatever. Well, it's starting to trickle up the generational ladder toward even people in their 60s and 70s where my parents reside. And they're starting to get impatient with the lack of return on their desires, and that's driven by instant gratification. Certainly, search engines have a lot to do with this, and um, faster internet, and everything's on video. I mean, I, I even have a, a video channel. It's, uh, you know, I've got a podcast here. So there's there's ways to access information that don't require the traditional old methods of, of uh, checking out a book, sitting down, and, and sinking hours into it. Now, I happen to think that's a good thing. I think that society's consciousness is expanding as a whole at a much faster rate. We're co- we're communicating faster. We're uh, finding different ways to connect, and overall, our own awareness is expanding through this ease of uh, information access. That's a good thing. But what it's what it where it's a bad thing is where we get a little bit temperamental when we don't get what we want when we want it customized to us uh, instantly. So, I want to invite the listening audience to be aware of when you do that. Can you at least check yourself before asking the question of that go-to thing? Do I have to do it this way? Do I have to do it that way? And, be, and, and invite a little more intentionality behind what it is that you do. Even if it's going to the gym, as I'm, I'm sitting here recording this thing, I'm looking around the room and there's a, there's a bunch of stuff. And we just recently bought a, a treadmill because uh, it's wintertime here and uh, running outside is nasty. Plus, we have two small children and my wife can't push the stroller around ice and snow and so it's easier for her to run indoors on the treadmill so we we bought a a treadmill and um sometimes we just do things unconsciously right like uh good habits like exercise we do unconsciously but we still want the intentionality behind it lest we lose the meaning and purpose behind it now if we unconsciously go ask people for information um we lose maybe the meaning and purpose behind it. Are we are we just finding it out because we aren't comfortable not knowing? Or are we finding it out because we actually want to do something with the information? There's a big difference between those two. Uncomfortable because uh, we don't like not knowing is an inability to tolerate distress, which then speaks to that inability to uh, ride through not getting what we want. And it can, if you can tolerate distress, if you can live in disequilibrium for a little bit longer than you, maybe you, you want to, then what you can do is fight a lot of that instant gratification entitlement mentality and thus be a little bit more balanced and reasonable when you're interacting with people. If you're just unconsciously giving into it, however, you're more likely to fall back into those patterns of just chasing things to chase them because it makes you feel a little bit more safe and comfortable knowing stuff. But if you're not going to do anything with that stuff, why waste the energy chasing it down, annoying people who maybe don't want to talk to you or whatever it is. Similarly, if we strip away the, the search engines and the friends with, uh, with text messaging and the smartphones, would you necessarily go look up in the library and sink hours into that information if it didn't matter in your life? Would you necessarily go to the, to the treadmill if you could go outside and run? 
well, I don't need to run on a treadmill indoors in, in the middle of summertime. And I think my wife would probably agree. Yes, it's hot. Yes, it can be sweaty. But ultimately, it's, it's much healthier to run outdoors simply because uh, the psychology of being outdoors in fresh air and, and having passing stimulus uh, moving by your eyes and, and engaging you is, is just more uplifting. It, it sends more uh, positive chemicals through your brain and, and uh, you get a little bit more of a, a, a an uptake of, of serotonin and dopamine. So it's, it's actually healthier not to be staring at a screen. This treadmill happens to have a screen actually staring at a screen. It's, it's better not to be staring at a screen and instead be out on the, in the real world running. So we want to question our intentionality. So just because we come out of the winter time, we don't want to just go to the treadmill in the summer because the treadmill's there. We want to go, well, why am I on the treadmill? Hopefully the treadmill collects dust in the summertime would be my wish. Um, but that's, that's me and it's not my treadmill. I don't run my knees hurt. So (laughs) it's not on me. It's on her, but I would still invite her to say, you know, what, what's your intentionality behind this? Do you, do you want, do you really want to run on the treadmill or would it be better if you ran outside? And probably the answer would be, well, no, I, I, I could probably run outside. It's, it's healthier. And similarly, well, no, I don't really need to look up that information. Um, it's not necessary to me. I can let it go. And now if we broadly apply this, it has much greater implication to the, to the rest of the world. Think about the application to social media, for example. If you're just blindly picking up your phone and unconsciously checking things, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, um, anything to see if there's updates. Even Google News Feed is regularly updating now much faster than it ever has. And that's all, uh, it's all the undergirdings of an addictive principle. We don't want to become addicted. We don't want to do things unconsciously. We don't want to do things out of emotional reactivity or, or out of sheer habit or, or compulsion or force for that matter. We want to do them with intentionality and we want to have purpose and meaning behind them. So if every time you pick up your phone to check something, you pause you can actually add some intentionality in and say, do I need to check this thing right now or can it wait? And that's one great way of combating impulsivity and instant gratification is if you just simply pause. One really easy way to do this, and I learned this from my good friend Christian Conti, who has been on this podcast before and will be in the future. Um, He'll say, if you have an itch, just don't scratch it. That's a great way to override impulsivity. And whatever you practice, you're going to get good at anyway. So if you practice this avoidance of impulsivity, you're going to learn better and and more frequently how to combat it when it applies more broadly in your life. Shopping, um, going on trips, uh, taking that extra bite of food at the end of the meal when your body already knows that it's had enough. There's lots of impulsivity and unconscious behavior that pervade our lives that are simply not healthy for us. And my invitation to you is if you can pick those apart and analyze them, you can start fighting that urge to give in to the impulsivity and the instant gratification. And then uh, by doing so, you avoid the the displeasure of not getting it. Um, you can you can align your expectations with reality a little bit better, and ultimately you become a better person to be around. We can even tie this back into the original topic, which is uh, allowing people to live rent free in your head. If you ask yourself why you do what you do, and you add intentionality to literally everything, and I know it's it's impossible what I'm asking, but if you could be intentional about literally everything, you would have complete control over all things. All responses, all interactions, everything you ever say and do in your life would would be guided by intentionality and reason and and probably such a predictable outcome that you would only do the things that benefit you or others 
and meet your overall goals. You wouldn't do anything unconsciously or impulsively anymore. So would you necessarily respond with anger to a person who's not in the room simply because they're living in your head, rent-free, by the way? No, you wouldn't because it doesn't meet your overall goals. We do these things because they're either imparted in us over time, they're shoved into our psyches and become, uh, you know, influences that we we have a tough time shaking or we do them out of emotion which is where impulse lies um so sometimes we end up finding ourselves in positions where we're we go how did we get here why are why are we doing the things that we're doing uh simply out of reactivity or impulsivity or uh because somehow along the way advertising told me i should it's because we lost our intentionality so in summation, I would invite everybody who's listening to this podcast to um, assess your intentionality, know how you apply the principles of why you do what you do to your life, and think about if you're going to um, use people as your Google tool or the, you know, for information that could otherwise be uh, sought on your own, or if you're allowing people to live rent-free in your head, or you're otherwise uh, simply reacting to your environment seemingly without thought, Think about this. If you're doing that and you're taking the easy way out, and by easy I mean comfortable, familiar, predictable. I don't mean necessarily that it's, uh, that it's beneficial easy. But you're taking the easy way out. Think about the process that you're skipping over. Think about the growth that you're missing by doing the work yourself, doing the hard work of resisting the urge, doing the hard work of carving that person away from you kicking them out of your head, evicting them, so to speak, doing the hard work of looking up the information on your own, even though it's really not hard these days to whip out a smartphone and, and Google things. But it is much easier just to go to the well from which you've always drawn your water knowledge, so to speak, and tap into that. You miss your own process of growth and development. And unfortunately, in an instant gratification society that's often measured by you know instances of pleasure rather than personal growth, it's hard to quantify how much one grows simply by denying impulsivity or denying instant gratification. But I promise you that if you ride through the, the discomfort and the disequilibrium of not giving in immediately, of writing it out, you will grow immensely in your own patience your character, your resilience, and your overall attitude and mood. So consider that. Consider your intentionality. Consider why you do what you do. And if you can just simply hit a pause button from time to time before you engage in any of the things in which you engage, from talking to acting, the words that come out of your mouth to the tone that follows. If you can just pause and think before you do those things, you know, it's an old adage that says think before you speak, but it's really think before you do anything. You'll be able to add some intent and when you have intent, you have true control over what it is that you do. On behalf of the Naga Notes team, I hope you found this interesting, and I hope you share it with your friends. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. And if you haven't downloaded our app yet to track your emotions and your thoughts on a timeline, please do that as well. It's free. You can find it in all the app stores. And on behalf of the Zephyr Wellness team, well, we just wish you good mental wellness. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you again next week. Bye-bye.